and welcome to another brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. I am T, and of course, we are talking scary movies. I appreciate everybody joining us in for another brand new episode. Keep in mind, new episodes go up every Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, or close enough to that. I know sometimes they don't always go up 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, but I appreciate everybody tuning in. Remember, if you subscribe to the YouTube page for T-Watches a Scary Movie, you'll be alerted when new episodes are going up. So make sure that you're subscribing right here. Because if you subscribe to this link, you'll make sure to get all the notifications, again, of when new episodes are going up. And any other videos that I put up as well, too. And of course, if you want to know about our watch parties, which we do every Wednesday night after our new episodes, and then typically every Saturday night with some scary TV shows, though for the month of March, we are doing Thursdays, make sure you subscribe to our Facebook group page, which can be found right here. This link takes you to the Facebook group page for T-Watch the Scary Movie, and that's where you can find out when we have our watch parties going on. You can take part in our daily discussions we have as well, and have some other fun with us too. So. Last week, we talked about a little backwoods horror. We talked about The New Wrong Turn. And then we also talked about this great film I had recently had a chance to see, getting a lot of buzz, called Hunter Hunter. Well, I was lucky enough to get an interview to be able to sit down with the writer and director of Hunter Hunter, Mr. Sean Linden. So over the course of the next couple episodes, you're going to get to see that conversation happen. Now, to let y'all know, there are mild spoiler warnings in this, but we will let you know if there is anything massive that's going to be coming out. But this is part one of my two-part interview with director Sean Linden, the writer and director of the film Hunter Hunter. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to T-Watches a Scary Movie. And joining us today is a very, very special guest. We just got done discussing his film in our most recent episode of the show, Hunter Hunter. It was just released on streaming and in some theaters December of 2020. Joining us, folks, we have Mr. Sean Linden. How you doing today, Sean? Good, Darren. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, uh, all, very all, much appreciate you joining us. Um as you kind of mentioned there before the show, we're we're all still quarantining and uh, and enjoying enjoying the fruits of a uh, 2020. What was your 2020 like for you? Now I gotta ask. It was uh, it was pretty non-eventful until the the movie was released. So I guess until December, and then it's kind of um, it's been fun in a very distant way. There's yeah. not. This is a year where there's no film festivals and genre festivals, which I've always loved so much. And um, this film probably would have made a good fit in some of those. So on on that side, it's been a little bit, you know, a little disappointing. But all things considered, I mean, my family's safe and everybody that I know is safe. So it's a, it's a super small problem to have. And yeah, right now I'm just great. I'm great trying to trying to keep grateful about things and not think about being cooped up in a house for another few months so i'm grateful that uh that i have some family that i'm going to be able to see soon definitely and that that's a benefit is that as we come out the other side of all of this here we can start looking forward to some sense of normalcy sometime soon hopefully so yeah everybody's curious, gonna you did mention you know missing film festivals and stuff like that honestly um obviously 2020 has changed the way that 
so many things like film festivals or conventions and stuff like that are going to look for the foreseeable future. And I, I feel that a lot of films that we got last year, um, you know, they didn't justly maybe get their day or their chance to kind of shine because like you mentioned for genre films, especially um, film festivals out there are one of the best ways to get like the buzz going and to get uh, the, to get that interest worked up for a film. Um, how do you think that looking at your own experiences with Hunter Hunter and I guess, you know, any other movies you yourself might've been watching or following or anything like that. How did you see like the film festival kind of industry change on itself in 2020? Well, there's also the flip side of that, which is um, um, an advantage that I think our movie had um, along with a bunch of other independent, uh, especially horror films is that, um, the, the tent pole horror, the big budget horror films all got pushed, which kind of allowed a little bit of a vacuum to be um, filled in by more the, the lower budget or independent films. And I'm not sure, like I'm just in a, in a parallel world where it was able to go through the, the, the more traditional uh, release lines. I'm not sure if it would have gained the traction that it, that it has um, just by just by getting attention by mere fact that there weren't a lot of other large movies getting attention around it. So I think it's been a great year for independent uh, cinema um, just because the, the spotlight has been on them maybe a little bit more than it would have been. But as far as um, film festivals, I'm, I'm pretty sure that after now, everybody's going to have a, um, a virtual aspect to it because it just opens up your own festival to to the rest of the world in a way that people have grown accustomed to really quickly. Yeah. And it's funny cause you touch upon, you, you mentioned just now that you think that because of everything that happened, you know, with the vacuum it you know, it helps a film like yours get released and get that notoriety. Do you feel that like, cause like last year we had a big increase in things like theater at home and big, uh, big streaming releases and stuff like that to where now it's, it's kind of weird to think about the idea of a life without that being a major focus. Like, sure, theaters, theaters are already reopening. We're going to start seeing big tentpole films come back in and stuff. But 2020 really did bring out like this, this not new market, but it made that market of direct to streaming and direct to video bigger. Um, and, and like yeah, you just everything. mentioned, there's pluses and minuses to it. But overall, how has that made you feel seeing that market just explode last year? Everything for the past 10 years has been kind of trending towards that anyway, very slowly. Uh, what this did is just accelerate it really, that, that kind of progress really quickly. Um, and, you know, it was eventually going to become the new normal. Um, now it's just, it's, it's just the new normal now uh, instead of a few years down the road. Yeah, and I, I agree because it was kind of scary a few years back thinking that, you know, people always say, like, theaters are going to go away and they're not going to be as important. And then last year hits and it's like, oh, theaters are, they are away <laughs> for a year. And, yeah, yeah, it's pivoted a lot of what's going on. And um, one thing I will say is that, especially for the horror genre, it seems that um, with a lot of films, it's hard to gain a following right off the back. And not that movies can't become cult classics. Obviously, all of us have grown up to where, we, we, we have just a number of cult classics that were never good at the time and gained that love. <laughs> Excuse me. Of course, I hit the start button on the pinball table. We got the bad audio there. Um, but um, 
uh, Hunter Hunter is getting like universal acclaim. I, I haven't seen anything negative go out about it. It's got a 94% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, I, I don't want to like throw like 2020 into it or like, you know, quarantine or anything like that. But how did it feel seeing the reaction to your movie come out and just, and to me at least, it seems like it's just been an overwhelming just barrage of good coming out about that how did that feel personally just to see all these kind words and good marks stuff like that coming out about it it felt super awesome it was um the story itself is is has a pretty experimental structure so the the whole story was a bit of a risk uh to shoot and to see that that risk seems to have paid off that it has the effect um that some people are getting the effect that was uh intended um, it's it's really really reassuring. I mean, the the script was written. The original script was written back in 2007, which is oh, wow. 13 years ago. So it took a long road to getting made, and and uh, went through a bunch of variations, and and wound up getting improved throughout the years, and boiled down to its its kind of essence, that just the the part that I loved about it. And so to know that that all of that's kind of validated is really reassuring because i knew that it could have gone way worse <laughs> than it did and I, you know i have the the crew and the fantastic cast to thank for all of that like it was a tough shoot but everybody was laughing and having a good time and you can see in the performances that you know it's a it's a complete movie because of it definitely and you touch upon the, the fact you said some of it's like experimental in the way that you did it um you, I do notice uh, this this story the setting of the story is pretty it's a pretty simplistic setting you know they're they're on a remote plot of land basically they're they're isolated from uh, the the Salt family excuse me is uh, kind of isolated from everything they're they're living from the living as fur trappers and they're they're kind of living off the land as well too is is one of the better ways to look at that I am curious because you you talk you talked just now about like the original script and kind of what it's been through. Um, did, was there anything coming from your own personal life that kind of influenced uh, influenced that? Like, was there a period of your life to where, like, you were roughing it or wanted to live off the grid? Like, was camping or being out in the woods, like, a big part of, like, maybe your childhood or anything like that? Was there any inspirations coming from your life on the Mersault family? No, I'm a super indoors guy, and I'm the worst. I'm the worst to camp with. It. I, I've gone camping at one time with a hundred hot dogs and nothing else and use that to bar <laughs> use that to barter for pillows and and a sleeping bag and things like that while i was on site yeah so i'm i'm really not good at any of that that just came from uh, a lot of research and and hanging out with people who actually do that who actually have trapping shacks out in the woods they don't actually live out there and are self-sustaining because um again it touching on on the part of the story that that fur trapping is not a way to, to sustain a person's life in, in modern times. And they're no different. They just do it for, uh, for, for the passing down of traditions and of, 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 you know, respecting the things that their fathers and their grandfathers and their, or their grandparents have uh, that way of life. But yeah, it's more of a hobby right now than, than any of that. But yeah, it just came from a lot of, um, research and making sure that nothing uh, went into the story that that wasn't what people actually do 
and from your research and like uh, like the people you talked to or like articles you might have looked into or anything like that, was there anything that stood out in your research that just kind of like it kept you up, it scared you, it unnerved you? Like, did you see anything or did any part of your research come up that like it's like oh that's kind of unnerving to actually think about this is a true story? You know what I'm hearing from this person or what I'm reading right now. Well, uh, like all death is really unnerving to me. Um, part of the story, just straight up, like the, the vibe of the story came out of my ambivalence towards eating meat. Like I love eating meat. I love steak, but I also love cows and I love living things. And I can't reconcile those two things in my in my heart and um, to examine a wholesome way of doing that where, you know, some people have to do that for survival and ultimately we have to kind of do that for, for survival as well. But that doesn't lessen the blow to, to people who have a, a love and respect for animals. So yeah, yeah that's, that's the kind of unnerving um, uh, um, uh, stuff that, that affected the story for sure that how, how death is treated in different on, on different points of, of the spectrum, be it the really wholesome kind of like using the whole buffalo and nothing goes to waste all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum where people are killing for sexual or personal gratification. So, and all of the bits in between. Yeah. And, so it was, oh, I'm was sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Please go. No worries. It's all, it was all unpleasant. I was glad to have had the story kind of gone, but uh, yeah. And it, it's interesting because um, when, when I was watching the movie, I, I, I tried not to put anything else in my mind of like other movies that like I was going to compare it to or anything like that. Um, but I kept thinking of like other things out there, like uh, The Edge with like Anthony Hopkins or like the great Liam Neeson and everything. And your film's different in a way to where um, in those movies, it's a lot... It's a lot more about the animal itself. Like, yeah, there's a lot about... Um, about human nature and what we'll do to each other and you know what kind of character a person is but in in hunter hunter the wolf plays such a big a big role in terms of how that affects the characters and moves that story forward but it's it's still not exactly the and not, not that the later part again without giving spoilers not that the later part necessarily is but it, it, I, I found it very interesting that the wolf isn't exactly the main focus of this it's more about like this family and being able to get by and and like it seemed at least to me it came off like this this dad who's trying to hold on to you know what he's used to and what's made his life somewhat comfortable and trying to make that uh make that life comfortable to his family so can, can you talk a bit about i guess about the wolf and where where that that plot point kind of came from why that was like kind of the driving force of the story itself well the two movies that you'd mentioned the gray and and the edge um which i I've, i enjoyed both movies particularly the edge when i was little um those movies do a a, a good job of demonizing the the animals by making them the uh the aggressor and making them kind of worse and more powerful than they are and and not adhering to the behavioral traits of those animals um we really tried to show and the story just shows that sometimes a wolf is a wolf and yeah it's dangerous but it's not an insurmountable danger the danger that you sometimes feel in your head just from like from Anne's perspective from personal experience of just having unpleasant experiences with wolves 
That may color your opinion, but it's not going to change the wolf's behavior. This was a, it was a stray, I'm not going to, without getting into spoilers in the movie, there's, there's, a, there's a reason for the wolf to be there, and it doesn't act in any way that's not wolfish. So it, it was really key to try to give that uh, a very realistic portrayal. The movie is, is, was meant to have, it was meant to be a story or a, a fairy tale about predators. So it has a very parable-ish structure um, or a, a fairy tale-like structure. But we also wanted to contrast that with, with realism for each of the characters. Like the big bad wolf um, is in the movie, but in reality, it's not really a big bad wolf. It's just a wolf. Yeah. And the, the big bad part comes from a different animal. And it's so interesting to hear you say that because uh, about how it's a fairy tale and it's about like kind of a, a warning and everything like that because um, there's a there's a, some pretty clear co uh, clear clear cut story beats later on to where um, after uh, after Anne and Renee come across you know Nick Stahl's character and everything she's very very prudent about not letting Renee be around him you know that first night uh, where where they discover him and everything like that and. You know, like obviously the audience is always gonna 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 take that and like put their own thoughts into it, but it's so interesting having you describe it a bit as a fairy tale and a bit of a cautionary, like kind of a warning tale, because you can entirely feel that from Anne's actions with Renee later in the film when she finds Nick Stahl's character and is like, you know, stay in the house, stay in your room, don't like don't come out here at all. And I thought that spoke so well to the performances that you were able to get out of it because you have a fantastic cast, you know, Devin Sawa, Camille Sullivan, Summer Howell, um, Nick Stahl, as I said, and in a lot of horror films, I feel that it's, it's, it can just be, it can be stereotypes, you know, we're just getting the traditional, the traditional roles in there. And it's almost like the entire film was like an energy transfer because like Devin Sawa's character, Joe, is just so... He's, he's so strong and he's gruff and he's, he's trying to protect his family, you know, the best way he knows how while still being a bit stubborn. And as the movie goes on, he's transferring that strafe over to Renee, like trying to teach her how to live in his world. And even, even to Camille Sullivan's and to where she picks up so much of that intensity and strength throughout the film. Um, and, and she has to learn... <clears throat> The movie's about kind of the transfer of knowledge and tradition, um, of, like from one generation to the next, and what happens when that kind of information or tradition becomes obsolete. What happens to that kind of stuff, uh, the, the transferal or the handing down of essentially um, um, useless information? And you know, it's it's there's a there's a, a repeating aspect to that in the movie where the uh, the father. Um, um, uh, passes down the knowledge onto the daughter, but once uh, a vacuum is formed with, when the, the the family unit is imperiled, then it's it's Renee, the daughter, who has to re up that kind of knowledge back to the to to um, you know a, di a different person, and it's it's that transfer of knowledge, and it's the knowledge that eventually kind of climaxes to the end and shows that it's not it's not totally useless. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I, I do want to talk about Camille Sullivan here in a bit, but um, I, I, I'd love to focus on Summer Howell for a minute, her character, Renee. Uh, 
there were like there were some points in there to where it, it, it kind of stood out about like having to think about Devin Sawa's character Joe, like kind of what motivated him for some of these choices because there's a part to where uh, the local the local authorities are talking uh, talking about investigating like uh, the Mersault's land and everything like that, and they mention their little boy pretty specifically as opposed to a little girl, and that kind of stood out to me. That they mentioned that now is that a case of you know they're just so isolated from everybody else that nobody knows or is it kind of, is it more so like joe's kind of worked that up to make sure folks don't know a lot about him and his family you know yeah it's it's meant to show that that they don't know that the the lawn for or the the park rangers don't know anything about this family uh she he, the the guy only thinks that it's uh that it's a boy because he looked into the truck to see when he was arriving and saw the kid and, and by all outward appearances, uh, Renee looks like a boy when she's in her hunting, uh, gear. There's nothing really to, to distinguish her from a, a boy from girl. And that, that much was inten intentional because she does dabble in, in both her, her mother and her father's world. So, um, yeah, that's just, it, there's a lot of, of of little tiny misunderstandings that go on like that that just kind of pepper the story that give gives it an aura of of uncertainty that nobody really knows exactly what's going on. And I'm curious. I mean, if you know, if you like had, had to consider that, if there's maybe little little parts that you've written out or, or kind of said it into your head, um, there's an on it seems there's like an ongoing theme with the traps as well too because you know uh the, throughout the film and ultimately to unfortunately one character's uh one character's luck um those traps play a big big part in the film and there's some pretty poignant like standout moments to where like we see Devin Sawa just kind of looking at them and it's clear that it, it, it's like it, it's not a look of like I, I can only compare it to gun, like to you know an extremist gun owner who's like, yeah, I got a new rifle or something like that. And they're so happy, and the look that he kind of gives to these, like to the more dangerous traps, because we see like the clear cut, like non lethal ones, I guess, are what they're called. But then we see the traditional like bear traps and stuff like that, and it's yeah, those those are illegal. They they don't use them anymore, and you know, so they're they're old old traps that have been hanging on his wall for years, and it's like time to take out the big guns yeah oh man <laughs> um and i i'm curious then this one wolf threw their entire balance entire balance like of their life just out of whack like one thing comes along and their life their lives are basically in shambles is there any reason was it ever ever any kind of considerment of does it take more than one like you know what's what's the make it one wolf versus like a pack of wolf or anything. Cause I, I had a lot of my viewers asking about that. Like, you know, this one wolf, like seriously screwed their lives. Like where was the wolf pack? Where's the rest of the wolves? Was there ever any consideration or did that not really matter in the scheme of things? Honestly, I, I didn't want the, the, the concern for the wolf to be fear-based. Um, Anne has certain fears of the wolf and those fears grow, but the original one was just economic. The wolf is stealing from their traps. They can't make money for food if it's stealing from their traps. So they have to go and get it. It's only afterwards, once it starts to, once we start making assumptions that um, it's also the result of, of what, what, is the, what happens to be another person's 
activities that we infer that kind of or we we project that fear onto the wolf. But the wolf is also it's acting according to a, a, what a lone wolf. Sometimes wolves don't don't um, um, are, are too sick or wounded or, you know, or old that they don't um, or, or at odds with a pack that they have to break off. And then they don't they don't really operate according to the rules of normal pack wolves because they have different prey. They can't take down a moose, so they have to be more uh, clever and a little more infiltrative um, and, and, um, and, and find their food where they can get it. So it was all just very pragmatic that, that the wolf is just being a wolf that has, that has found itself an easy meal. So it was, again, just trying to keep that, that, that the wolf is never, ever um, uh, fully demonized beyond what, what the audience themselves, uh, the fears that they're projecting onto it. And that's 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 a perfect perfect explanation because it, it is easy to see even even with the title of the film as well too that you know if we're looking too far far into the wolf itself like you said the wolf's just doing what it's it, it's own nature it's not specifically targeting this family and trying to make their life hell it's just that's that's that wolf's nature of trying to survive and. Um, you know, like when, then when we com like compare or even look to a lot of other horror movies that are kind of set like in the isolated woods and things like that, I, I am curious if while writing this, you know, years back, as you said, you've been, you know, you've been writing it for about 13 years and then even directing it. Um, do you ever have to consider all these other, all these other kind of horror films with the same, like same kind of setting out there because your movie is so different. And that's one of the, one of the better things about it. It's not, it's not nothing too cliched or nothing too over the top or anything like that at all. But I am curious if during the writing process or especially when you're directing it recently, you know, do you ever have to stop and consider the whole genre of like, not back backwoods isn't the right term, but like isolated, back, isolated horrors. Backwoods is a pretty is a pretty good term in it. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't I don't live in that in that uh, specific genre that backwoods genre. But like as a macro, um, uh, you know that my ambition or my intention when I'm writing scripts, especially the ones that I direct, are to make stories that haven't been told before. And even if like it's it's even if that's a failure, um, that attempt uh, itself hopefully comes through a, an attempt to kind of be original in some way, and that's why it's really hard to um, it's hard to uh, put Hunter Hunter into a genre. It's like a thriller with with really horrific elements that almost push it into a horror realm, and and by some people's judgments, it definitely makes it um, a, a horror movie. But it's just like I was really trying not to look at other projects to lean on yeah. um, and basically just keeping, uh, you know, I had my Grimm's fairy tales kind of way of telling something and I had the, the really gritty, accurate details and, and the, the muck of that life to, to mix in with, with those kind of fairy tale archetypes. So there's like, there's the, the burly woodsman and, you know, Maiden in Distress and the, the Cabin in the Woods and, you know, the Enchanted Forest. There's all those kinds of um, sort of basic things that people have been starting their stories with since stories began. Yeah. 
but it's it's again just trying to use those expectations that the audience goes into it and then kind of upend them as many as many times as you possibly can there's there's at least a few moments where if you haven't seen the trailer or read anything about the film that that definitely goes in a way that you did not think it was going to go it takes some abrupt turns and that was part of the experimental nature of the story and and that's also you know what what we were what we were going for to subvert expectations and make that part of the tension itself and with that you you had some fantastic performances in it um, I, I mentioned it, but I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Camille Sullivan's performance real quick here um, to where she ends up being the uh, guiding lights, not really the right word, but she is the she's the captain of this ship as we slowly progress through this story and to get into uh, kind of spoiler territory, which if any uh, those of y'all who are watching, um, you're going to want to skip ahead just a little bit for some of the beats that might come up here. Um, Alrighty, folks, that is going to do it for part one of our interview with the writer and director of Hunter Hunter, Mr. Sean Linden. Make sure you are back here next Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time as we have part two and we are starting off talking about that ending. If you've seen Hunter Hunter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're starting right off the bat with the second part of this interview with some spoilers. But not only that, we have an exclusive. We are going to talk about the never-before-mentioned sequel, Hunter Hunter 2. We have some information, and we are going to break it here on T-Watch is a Scary Movie. So as always, thank you all very much for watching. If you want to check out some of the other work I've done, my interview here with David Steinman, the writer and director of the holiday horror classic Santa Slay, you can check that out there. As well, if you want to see my interview with my good friend and host of Nia Has Questionable Taste, Miss Nia, you can check that out right there. And of course, make sure to subscribe here to the YouTube page, like I mentioned before, so you can be alerted when new episodes are going up right here. Thank y'all very much for watching. I'm T. We've been talking scary movies. Make sure to hit the Facebook group so you can find out about the watch party tonight. Stay scared!